uh, friends, it's uh, time to read the Bible now. So thanks, Andy, for sharing um, your love of the Bible, especially in difficult times. We're reading from Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 to chapter 5, verse 5. That'll be at the back of your Bible, whatever page number it is on. Give you just a couple of moments to turn to Revelation chapter 4. And it's the Apostle John speaking, and this is what he says. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Hello, everyone. Great to be here. If you don't know me, my name is Bruce Clark. I'm the senior minister. And today we're going to look at the second week this theme of singing through suffering and we're going to look particularly at revelation chapter four and five which scott just read for us <clears throat> let me pray for us father may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you and father i do pray you'd bring comfort to our hearts and minds at this difficult time through your word in jesus name amen well this week in australia it's actually been nadot week and if you're not familiar with nadot week it's a week that celebrates uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders culture, history uh, and all things to do with that. 
And there's no doubt uh, in thinking about NADOC Week this week, one of the great images for me of Australia and our Indigenous brothers and sisters is Uluru. Uh, it is that famous rock that sits in the middle of the country that is just magnificent. Um, a couple of facts about it. If you go up and look at it, it's actually 348 metres high. That's three and a half football fields in height. Uh, if you were allowed to walk around it, you can't do that now. Uh, it's nine and a half kilometres around the circumference. It is an enormous piece of God's creation. And the thing about it is, it has just been there forever. And it's what you would call an immovable object. And we often talk about things being immovable, things that no matter what happens, they are just still there. And it strikes me in life, there are things that we depend upon that we trust will always be there, uh, that will always be true, that they will always be around. And they're immovable, and they're just like Uluru. But I think one of the great lessons that COVID has been teaching all of us is that so many of the things that we thought were immovable <coughs> or dependable actually aren't. That There's actually a lot of flux and change in life. And life is just not as predictable as we may have thought it is. And everything, as we've discovered, can just change in an instant. Who would have thought one limousine driver catching COVID would have such an impact upon a city? And those changes and that instability has caused all sorts of anxiety and anguish and one of the things that strikes me as we've gone through this second lockdown is the number of articles and pieces on the story, uh, stories on the, on the um, TV that just speak about mental health and well-being because all of us are struggling in terms of not knowing, anxiety, instability, um, along with the social isolation, which absolutely affects our mental health and we need to be looking after each other in this very difficult time. And so today, what I want to do is get us to think again about how in the midst of all of this flux and change and uncertainty, we can continue to sing and actually have a sense of confidence and joy in God. And we're going to do that by looking at the book of Revelation, particularly chapters 4 and 5. Now, Revelation, if you're not familiar with it, is actually a book that's got all sorts of songs in it. And we're going to look at a couple of them. But Revelation was a book that was basically a prophetic dream or vision that was given to the Apostle John when he was a political prisoner in exile on the island of Patmos, which is just off the modern-day coast of Turkey. In fact, you can go there today and see the island. And the church at that time, when John is given this vision, it's the end of the first century, was experiencing a lot of difficulty. It was very difficult. Uh, there was suffering, there was persecution, and there were all sorts of trials that the Christians of that century had to go through. And when you meet John in the first chapter of Revelation chapter 1, he has this vision of the Lord Jesus who comes to him. And Jesus takes him and then gives him this insight and vision into the state of the church in the day. And that was what chapters 2 and 3 outline. And seven churches are mentioned. And John gets to see the state of the church. Some of the churches are doing well in the sense they're holding on to the faith. They are persevering, but others were struggling. 
They were facing trials and sometimes they were not standing for Jesus. Sometimes they were caught up in the ways of the world. There was temptation, there was persecution and there were people who were falling away. And what happens then is that in chapters 4 and 5, in contrast to the difficulty that the church is experiencing in that day and age and at that time, John is taken in a vision up to heaven and given an insight into what is taking place at that time and what will take place in the future. And so if you've got your Bibles there, open up with me and we're going to start from John chapter 4 verse 1. Let me read to us. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Now, one of the clues to understanding this book of Revelation, which I know for many people is a mystery, uh, is it's a book that you see. It's very visual. And if I can contrast that with a very famous book from the New Testament, uh, the book of Romans, uh, Paul's letter to them, uh, that's a book that's full of logic and rhetoric and argument, as Paul explains in great detail the gospel. Revelation is very different. It hasn't got the extended argument and rhetoric. It's basically got a series of visions that you see. And it's like a modern day comic book which visualizes a battle that was taking place between the forces of good and evil, God and Satan, and the way the people of God are caught up in it. And so we're invited to look and see the wonder of God and the battle of the gospel. And what we see here in chapter 4 is this incredible view. John is taken up, heaven is open, there's a door that is open, he walks in. And verse 3, there was a rainbow shining like an emerald and the rainbow and many of the things that are spoken of in the book of Revelation pick up images from the Old Testament and the rainbow speaks of God's covenant promise that he will never abandon in judgment again his people. And then in verse 4, there are 24 elders on a throne and they're dressed in white with gold crowns. And rather than the people of God experiencing suffering and opposition, you see here in a symbolic way, the people of God are around the throne of God and white speaks of purity, gold crowns speak of the fact that they have triumphed with the Lamb. And there's lightning and thunder and there's this sea of glass. It's this kind of awesome scene. And then there are these living creatures that have this mix of human and animal-like features, which are, if I can say, otherworldly, angelic, spiritual beings. And at the center of it all stands the throne. Now, what is important to note here in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation is one word is mentioned 15 times. And that word is the throne. And not just any throne, it is the throne of God himself. And the throne of God in these chapters speak of his power. They speak of his control over all the events that are taking place in the world. His sovereignty over the affairs of men and women. God is on his throne. And that's the first thing that John is invited to see. He's taken up from the chaos and the suffering and the difficulties of life on earth and the church and he's transported into heaven. And what does God show him? That he is on the throne. 
and that he is in control. I love how one writer put uh, this description. And he's reflecting on what it would have meant for John the Apostle. The Apostle. He says, The final reality which will still be standing when heaven and earth have disappeared is the great white throne. To those who live under the shadow of the throne of Caesar's throne and find that that shadow is made darker by the shadow of Satan's throne, the one truth that matters is that there is a greater throne above. And John is being shown that throne, the throne of God, and it just speaks of the reality that no matter what he's going through, actually God is still in control. And then you hear this great chorus of voice and song. Verse 8, let me read. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And I love that short phrase. It is so powerful. They are praising the God who always was, who was there before the beginning of creation, who is now in the midst of time, still in control, and who is to come, who will one day return visibly to this world to rule. God was, God is, God always will be, and alone, he is the one who is holy. And verse 9 continues on. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, which speaks symbolically of the people of God before him, who sits on the throne, and worship him who lives forever and ever, they lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. In other words, you are the God who is over us and importantly, you are the God who has made us and we only exist because of you. You are worthy. It's a profound vision that John has given in the middle of the chaos that he was experiencing on planet Earth on the island of Patmos and as he understood the chaos and the difficulties that the church were experiencing in their day. And what he's first shown in the book of Revelation is this incredible scene of God on his throne. All is well. And all of creation is praising him and declaring he is worthy. God is on his throne. We then move to chapter 5 and chapter 5 is just an extension of this vision that John has. Verse 1, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And then significantly we read verse 4, I wept. And when it says I wept, it's talking about the apostle John. He's so caught up in this vision. He's kind of living it out before them. And there's this scroll which has this very important information, but no one can open it, and he's distraught. He is weeping because there was no one found who was worthy to open the scroll 
or to look inside. But then verse 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. In other words, John, it's okay. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, well, he's triumphed. And what is being described here is the Lord Jesus. He was from the tribe of Judah. And he was the lion, the king. He was the root, he was the offspring of King David. He is the great son of King David. And John is given this vision of how the Lord Jesus has triumphed. And he's told he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it's been slain. And it's this incredible juxtaposition of two, if I can say, um, created animals, a lion and a lamb. And they both speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, the lion in the sense that he is the king, the lamb, he is the one who laid down his life and was slain. And he sees both of them in this vision. But here as he views the lamb, he sees that he's a lamb who's been slain. He has laid down his life. And now he's standing at the center of the throne, alongside God, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns, we're told, and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And so while there was nothing or no one who was created who was able to take this scroll and open it, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, he is worthy and he can take it. And when he'd taken it, verse 8, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. In the midst of the chaos that the people of God were experiencing, the Apostle John was experiencing. He has this incredible vision given to him as he looks into heaven and he sees the majesty of God on the throne and the incredible wonder of his son, the Lord Jesus, who has triumphed and who has redeemed men, women, boys and girls from across the globe, from every nation, tribe, language, tongue. And all praise is going to him. Worthy is the Lamb. And that's what verse 12 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Friends, this is the immovable truth, the Uluru truth for us as Christians. God is actually on the throne still today, even in the midst of COVID. He is still in control. And he is sovereignly working all things out for good for those who love him. And friends, we will never be separated from the love of Christ, is what Paul tells us in Romans 8. And friends, 
we can have great confidence that no matter what happens, God is with us. He is on the throne. And significantly, we can have great assurance that we are his because his son, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, has triumphed by his blood. And because of his precious blood that was shed, we can have complete assurance that we are his and we belong to him. And no matter what we go through, and it is difficult, and as Scott reminded us, we need to do this together. We need to be able to look either side of us and see that together we are walking ahead. And when people are struggling, put our arms around them, help them, walk with them. But we do it together in the knowledge and the strength that comes from knowing God is in control. He is on the throne and that his son Jesus has triumphed and that our destiny is assured in him. And just like the angels and the heavenly beings here in Revelation sang, we can sing. We can remind ourselves. And that's why singing is so powerful because it actually reminds us of the great truths of the gospel and it reorientates our hearts and our minds towards heaven and to these great realities that God the Father is on the throne and his son has triumphed on our behalf. Well, last week and this week, we've asked those who've been on the platform here to share. So how is it you're able to sing through suffering? And I thought I would share my story in closing today. As most of you know, my father died when I was very young. And I want to show you just now one of three very precious photos that I have. They are on the wall of my office at home. I only discovered them uh, about 16, 17 years ago as I was going through some old slides that somehow I'd taken possession of from my mum. And as I opened them up and looked at those little chromocone slides, I discovered that there were family pictures from long ago and I got them printed and to my absolute amazement I discovered three photos of myself with my dad because up until that point I had no photographic record of me being with him and you can see there on the screen a photo of me I was about two years old with my dad and my dad's 35 in that photo. Sadly I worked out just a number of months after that my dad died in a car crash uh, caused by the potholes of the old Queensland roads up in Townsville where dad was working and we lived and this is 1966 I'll show you another photo in 2017 uh, because my mum six months after the death of dad uh, took us back to Sydney where the grandparents were and we never went back up and I said to my mum and my brothers I'd like to go up and visit the grave and just see where we lived and see where dad's grave is and there's a photo of myself uh, at the grave some 51 years on after dad died and one of the constants in my life for the last 55 years has been this because I was only two when dad died it's actually been my mother from a earthly point of view uh, she just looked forward as I've sometimes said and just got on with life and got on with looking after her three boys of which I was the youngest and she prayed for us and cared for us and she's been an incredible just foundation for myself and my brother's lives 
But when I was 16, I walked away from the faith that mum had patiently tried to raise us in. And there were a whole bunch of reasons for that. I'm sure one of them was that I had no father and I was trying to work out life by myself, independent of mum. And I did all the stupid things that people do in their late teenage years. But one of the key moments of me coming to faith was I'd begun a journey of discovery about the gospel for reasons I won't go into today. And literally a couple of weeks out from when I came to faith, I was helping my grandmother go through stuff from my grandfather's desk who had just recently died, which was my dad's father. And in his desk, I discovered what were about 150 letters. For three years, he'd gone overseas to London post becoming a doctor at Sydney University to study at London and become a respiratory physician specialist. And he would write every week to his mum and dad. And I just happened to pick out one out of 150 letters. And I remember reading it that day as I was on this journey of discovery of faith. And it was the old aerograms that literally were a page backwards, uh, front and back that you could write on. And I don't remember all the details, but what I do remember is he was announcing to his mum and dad that he'd met this girl who he was going to marry. But what was most significant was he spoke of his Christian faith. And it was incredibly personal and real that my dad was a believer. And it was something I'd never really taken into account up until that point in my life when I was 20. And it had this profound impact and, and God was speaking to me through this. And I became a Christian just a couple of weeks later. And I remember, and I tell you this because from the very beginning, for all of my life, I've known that I didn't have an earthly father. And at that moment, it was like my dad was telling me, that you have a spiritual father in heaven who you can call on. And the immovable truth in my life has always been this, that I have a heavenly father, even though my dad is already there before me in heaven. He was pointing me to the heavenly father that I could have as I await that time when I'll see him, both my earthly and heavenly father. And friends, that has been the immovable truth in my life, that God is my Father. And as we discover here in the book of Revelation, He is on the throne. And my experience as a Christian through all those years, I've been a Christian now for 37 years, is that God is in control. And He has always been with me. He's always been with my family. And I always have the confidence of knowing that Jesus has triumphed, not just for the world, but for me. And I belong to him. And so even when times are tough, I can and I do sing and I give glory and honour to God and to his son, the Lord Jesus, because he is just the rock of my life, no matter what I'm going through. And I thought today I'd like to finish by getting our music director to play a song that he wrote, which I just think is a profound song. And it's a song that is so apt on a day like today to have sung to us. It's called One Thing. 
And David, on his journey of great uncertainty and trials as he came to Australia, got to a point where he just thought he would never, ever be accepted here. And in the midst of that journey and the darkness that he went through, he started writing songs. And one of the songs that he wrote is a song he's going to sing for us today. It's called One Thing. Now, David, tell us a bit about this song that you're going to sing, One Thing. One Thing is... Uh, it's a song, I got the inspiration from the book of Psalm, reading the Psalm of David when he was expressing his heart to the Lord uh, through his time of darkness or time of rejoice. Uh, so he was happy and he was sad, but he used to go to God and express himself. So uh, when you read Psalm 27, verse 4, uh, there's a prayer David prayed. He said, one thing I desire from the Lord is to to do in his house and to gather his beauty. Uh, that was the key point, open my heart to see then. I took the prayer, I dedicated myself, said, God, I want to speak this to you. That's what comes the song. One thing I deserve from the Lord is to know his love, uh, why he sent Jesus to die for us. So that was the key point to go to that. Thing. It was the comfort, where the place of rejoice, where the place of peace I found myself there. Well, let me just read that verse and then Dave's going to sing this song that he wrote. Psalm 27 verse 4, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Thanks, Dave. Mm-hmm.